Here we go. This morning I'm going to continue with this series of messages that we are doing on why it is we do what we do when we gather together in church. So we're, we're looking at some of those things that are a regular part of our worship service that we do together. Some of those things we've looked at already, right? The, the call to worship, that we're called to be here. Singing, that we respond in song to God. We talked about how it is that we profess our faith together and what that profession of our faith does for us. Today we're looking at another one of those pieces of our worship service, God's will for our lives. Maybe you remember growing up in a church, if you've been in a church a long time, maybe this was something you did every Sunday, right? Maybe you you were in a church where every single Sunday the minister read the Ten Commandments, like I did here this morning, or some other form of God's will for our lives. We do that in a pattern here where about once a month in a worship service, we bounce on that one because we rotate those things through. So today was our rotation of getting in that piece of our worship service that talks about God's will for our lives. Now, what I want to consider for the next little bit is why we do that, why that's a part of our worship service, and what it is that we take from that, okay? To do that, I'm going to be reading a section that comes from Matthew's Gospel. This is in Matthew chapter 7, and it is the end of chapter 7, and this particularly is the end of what has been called the Sermon on the Mount, So Jesus has this gathering of people on this hillside and he's giving them all of these teachings and these verses that I'm reading this morning then are the conclusion of that, the wrap-up. He's summarizing all of those things that he says in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you're interested, it begins in Matthew chapter 5 with what is popularly known as the Beatitudes and all through chapters 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. Here's the conclusion then. Matthew 7, I'm going to begin at verse 13. You have printed, it'll be on the screen here, you have printed in your bulletin beginning at verse 21 because that's where we're really going to focus. But beginning at verse 13, it says this. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate. Narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from a thorn bush or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, focusing here, beginning at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and 
puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We don't use compasses much anymore. In fact, I don't know if anyone even has compasses much anymore. Now, now maybe like you, I, I have a, a phone that has a map and a GPS, and I, if I lost that, I don't know how I'd find where I'm going sometimes because I'm maybe a little bit more over-dependent on that. But compasses give direction. In fact, sometimes, sometimes I might even find that handy here because this building in particular is laid out kind of funny, right? It, it's sort of diagonal on the lot, and every once in a while, someone will say, oh, yeah, well, come meet me by the west doors. And I have to think, which doors are the west doors? I'm kind of lost and turned around when I'm inside of here a little bit. Compasses give direction, right? They, they help point in a certain way like that. I want to hang on to that thought as something that guides us then as we think about what it looks like to look at the will of God, God's will for our lives, and how we see that as a guide for direction. In particular, I want to compare a couple of things here. Is the will of God, is God's will for our lives something that we receive as a threat or as a comfort? Right? Is it a warning or is it something that gives us assurance? I think there's two ways we could go with that. And maybe, maybe even within here, we have different opinions about that, or people who've experienced that in different ways, or, or maybe at different times of your life, you've received it as one or the other. You see, you read a passage like I read today, and, and on the surface level, you would walk away from that and think, well, this is a warning, isn't it? A warning, if you don't do these things and live the way Jesus says to live, then, then here's what's going to happen to you, right? That someday Jesus would say, away from me, I never knew you. Or that house built on the sand that falls with a crash. That there's something of a threat involved there. But I'm not sure that's what Jesus is after. Think about it this way. And, and let's, let's work through some of this. So in, in the first little section, those first two verses that I read, where Jesus talks about two paths, right? Two roads, two ways to walk. There, that there's a narrow road and a wide road. Narrow path and a wide path. And so that maybe, maybe if you're the kind of person or have known people who think of God's will, right, the, the law, the commandments, how we're supposed to live, if, if that is something that, that somehow relates to the path, then, well, then it becomes rather obvious what the teaching is here, isn't it? Well, God's will for our lives, the Ten Commandments, the law, all of those other rules and teachings he gives in Scripture, that, that sort of marks out for us this path, and, and Jesus says it's a, it's a narrow path. But he's given that to us to walk upon that path so that in walking to that path, we reach the gate of salvation, right? Paradise, 
heaven, the kingdom of God. Walk the narrow path by following the teaching of Jesus and you will get there. As opposed to what we would maybe characterize as, well, the world, the secular world, the crowd who walks on the wide path leading to a gate that goes nowhere, destruction. Maybe you've heard it told that way before. Maybe maybe you've experienced or read a book or had a teaching that maybe has characterized it that way, but I'm going to suggest that that's not accurate, that understanding for a couple of reasons, all right? First of all, because it's works righteousness. That the way you find your way to the gate of heaven is by doing the right things. Believing the right things, having the right kind of faith. It's what I do to take those steps, find the right path, walk the right path, and if I do those things, then I will reach the gate. When again and again in the New Testament, through the Apostle Paul, he says over and over and over again, not by works, But again and again, Paul says, you have been saved by grace, through faith, not what you've done. So those things don't fit together to understand it that way. Here's the other thing, and and the other thing that's maybe more important to notice is the order. If you look carefully at verses 13 and 14 and look at the order, it's not the path that leads to the gate, it's the gate that opens the path. It's the other way around. That Jesus is not really talking about a narrow path that we walk upon. What he's talking about is a narrow gate through which we enter the path. And Jesus has revealed himself in the Gospel of John as the one who is the gate. So it's not that we follow the law and keep the law and follow God's will for our lives so that we can find our way on this narrow path which leads us to Jesus. No, it's the other way around. Jesus is the one through whom we are set upon a path. We don't have to walk there to get to Jesus. Jesus is the one who brings us there, who has brought us there, who has set our feet upon that path. We look at it that way, and we see then, we see then that this fits with what the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament, that in fact, yes, we are saved by grace through faith, that we enter this salvation through and only through Jesus. And having been saved by Jesus, having entered that new life with him. He sets our feet on a path. He gives us a compass, a compass of God's will to show direction, to show how it is now we can walk, not to get to him, but with him, through him, that we are with God in that. So we see the law of God. We see these commandments that come to us as something which guide our steps in that. Not as a threat, not as a warning, but in this case, it's a comfort. It's an assurance. An assurance that comes to us in ways that help us to know that we have been saved by Jesus. 
that we have been given a new path to walk on by Jesus. That we do have a way to live that responds in thanksgiving and in gratitude to Jesus. That it comes to us in that way. And we receive God's will for our lives in that way. Something that gives us a comfort, not a threat. We see that as it comes through these verses. And we see that in ways that maybe help us. Because if you notice that the section that we read today, that section that gives us in verse 22. Verse 22 that says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? You see, if, if the law of God, follow me on this now, if the law of God, if God's will for our lives was, was a warning, was a threat, this doesn't help. Not in the least. Because think about it. Think about it. These are people who on all accounts of surface level, they look like they're doing the right thing. God, look, what, look at how we're living, but, but we're doing what you told us to do. right? And, and we're doing it in your name prophesying, driving out demons, performing miracles. We're doing all of the things that it looks like you told us to do. So, so why then, having lived the way that you wanted us to live, why, why are we still turned away? Why are we rejected? You see, if, if this passage, if these words are a threat or a warning, then it's just gotten a lot worse, hasn't it? Now, how do you know? How can there ever be any assurance that you're actually doing what God desires for you to do if you see it as a threat or a warning? But I think in this, Jesus is expressing something that's not a threat or a warning, but it's actually a comfort, an assurance, something that comes as an encouragement to us, something that we can see that gives us something of God's will for our heart, our head, our hands. Heart and head and hands, that, that God reveals his will for our lives as something that we receive in our heart and connect with God's heart. That it's something that we receive in our heads, that God has revealed it so that we can know it, so that we can understand it, and our hands, so that we can do it. Live God's will. Perform and act the love that he's given to us in ways that point to him. Heart, head, and hands. That God does this from his grace to reveal that to us, his will. Consider how this works, right? How, how this all fits together for us in ways that show us how God's will for our lives works towards us. You see, because the will of God in this becomes an assurance. An assurance for us of our everlasting adherence to the righteousness of Christ more than adherence to a list of rules that we would use to someday tell us whether we're in or whether we're out. But it helps us to know, to know how it is that God has placed before us a path in response to what he's already done for us. You know, in our, in our catechism, in the Heidelberg Catechism, we talk about the Ten Commandments, and, and that section of the catechism is at the very end. 
where it talks about the commandments. If you're familiar with how the Heidelberg Catechism is broken down into three sections, right? Guilt, grace, gratitude, or sin, salvation, service. It, it's in that end section that we talk about the commandments, that we talk about God's will. It's in the section of the, the catechism where we talk about gratitude and service, how it is that we live in thanksgiving to God for what he's done for us. It comes to us in that section. And we get there then through Jesus. That Jesus is the gate who sets our feet upon that path. And he does that by connecting our heart to his heart. That we have a heart that has been taken and made new and connected with the heart of God. So that the things that beat through God's heart, grace, love, mercy, that those things may now be given as something that beats through our hearts as well. Grace, love, mercy. And we walk with him through that. How do we understand that then as it comes to us? Well, consider what's said about it in the Old Testament. Right? For example, in Hosea, in Hosea chapter 6, here's what the prophet Hosea has to say, what God says through Hosea to the nation of Israel. He says, what can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Because your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Twice in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 9 and in Matthew 12, Jesus quotes this verse from Hosea. He brings it up more than once to make that point and to illustrate what he's trying to tell his people about a heart connected with the heart of God that that he's saying, wait a minute, especially in in terms of Old Testament Israel. It's not going through all the motions that does it. It's, It's not this pattern of, offerings that you bring and the sacrifices that you make. That's not where this is all pointed. It's pointed to the heart of God because those things are meant to connect us with God's heart. That we have God's will for our lives put before us so that we may have a heart connected with the heart of God. Mercy, not sacrifice. Acknowledgement of God, not burnt offerings. And Jesus repeats that in the New Testament as something that points us to the connection we have with the heart of God. He summarizes that commandment then. This comes from the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, he says this, a new commandment I give you, talking to his disciples, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Pointing to that is that summary of the law that we've talked about in other times and other places, that command to love. So what we see in Scripture then, what we see as God's will for our lives, maybe you've lived a life in which you've seen these rules, right, commandments, the law of God, and, and it's come before you and maybe you've thought of it like a checklist, that checklist. All right. Yep. I'm, I mean, I don't have them all checked, but I've got a good number of them checked. So I, I 
think we're okay. Maybe that's how we've received it, but in fact, God gives us that as the compass. Not the checklist, but the compass. The compass that shows a direction. We have those things given to us by God so that we may know the direction to which God is pointing us, right? Where our steps should be going from there. God gives us that direction, not so that we can check, 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 done this, done this, but so that we have the guide for our steps moving forward in gratitude to God so that we may know what it looks like to live a life that loves one another. So we know what some of those rules are, right? I mean, we read some of them in the Ten Commandments today. You're right. Don't murder, don't lie, don't steal. Yes, those are some examples in Scripture. But they're examples that serve for us as a compass that point us in a direction that show us live like that. That's what a life of love for others looks like. Let that be the beginning. Let that be the thing that shows you a direction. So how you can live. Sometimes we miss that. We miss that because in that guide is a direction Maybe we get lost, especially when we think about God's will on an individual level, right? I mean, we've been talking today about God's will on a communal level. It, it's God's will for all of us. We all do this, but, but it gets a little bit tougher when we think about God's will individually. I think maybe we all struggle with that at some point, right? We all struggle with how do I know what God wants for me to do? What's his will for my life? And we face that at different times and in different ways. Students may come across that as you end your high school time and, and you're thinking, what's next? I mean, is God calling me to take up a trade and have a job and make a career out of that? Or is God calling me to go to college? How do I know? And if God is calling me to go to college, where do I go? And what do I study? And what's my major? We find that in other ways at parts of life too. A career change opportunity comes along. Do I take another job? Do I move? Do I go with that? Or do I stay where I am? When it comes time to retire, is it time to retire? And if I retire, what do I do with my time when I retire? What's God's will for me, for my life? How do I know? Because you know what? Scripture isn't going to give you a play-by-play for that. It's not a crystal ball that way. Although sometimes maybe we would like for that to happen. I would love to open my Bible and and have exactly there, Tom, here's what you should do next. Tom, here's the lotto numbers. It doesn't work that way. We can't get that from God like that. But if God's will is a compass, a compass that gives a direction, a direction that shows us what it looks like to live a life that follows in his heart, a heart of grace, a heart of love, a heart of mercy. Well, I can figure some things out now. Now I can work with something. Now when I have those questions before me of what's God's will and where should I go and what should I do, I can run with some of those questions. Well, is the option before me, is there an option here that creates greater opportunity 
to extend grace and love and mercy to others? Is there an option that gets me further along steps on that path than another? Could it be that God is opening a door that walks within his will that way? Maybe sometimes, you know what, that's still not a clear choice. Maybe I'm facing job choices somewhere along the way, and, and you know what, it looks like any of the options before me, they all have the same opportunity to extend grace and love and mercy to others. Could it be then, could it be that in a situation like that, that God is saying, you know what? You choose. I'm, God is saying that in his will, he's leaving that choice up to you. Because no matter what you choose in that situation, either one of those, you are walking within the will of God. That God chooses to leave some of those choices up to us to walk within his will. Maybe that's not very helpful when you would like a black and white answer and you just want to know for sure. But it still serves as a guide, a guide that shows us that God has connected our hearts with his and set us on a path filled with opportunity to share and express his grace, his love, his mercy with others. And we have opportunities to do that. And so, and so we come to worship every week, and, and we, when we come to worship, we have these moments where we go back again and we look at God's will for our lives, not to have that checklist to measure, am I in, am I out, oh no, what if I'm in trouble? No, we do that regularly when we come here to worship to remind ourselves that, you know what, your heart has been connected to the heart of God that Jesus has given you a new heart and that we have entered that through the gate of Jesus. And now there's the reminder that there's a path, there's a direction, there's a way that we can live now given direction by God because our hearts are joined with the heart of God. That God gives us that as a gift for our lives to be able to walk with him. And so we walk in that way. As we consider God's will, consider these words that come from Ezekiel, talking about a heart connected with God. Here's what God says through the prophet Ezekiel, that God says this, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. You see, all the way back in the Old Testament in Ezekiel, God already told back then where this plan was going, that you and I would be given hearts connected with the heart of God. And by receiving that new heart that comes through Jesus and only through Jesus, then we have the compass, the direction, our feet set upon a path and set upon a path in which Jesus walks with us because we're connected with him, because we are his people. So when we think about God's will, what it means to know God's will and have God's will for our lives, 
we follow in that heart of Jesus, a heart that shows us grace instead of judgment, love instead of rejection, mercy instead of vengeance. And we rehearse those things here in this place in worship so that we may go from here with our feet set upon the path. So you have opportunity. There's opportunity for you now in this week. When you go from this place in this week, find that one place where you may have the chance to extend grace instead of judgment to someone else where you can extend love instead of rejection for someone else's life, and where you can display and express mercy instead of vengeance. We do those things because, well, that's what God has done for us, right? That you and I are only here this morning because we have received God's grace instead of his judgment. We have received God's love instead of his rejection. And we have received God's mercy instead of his vengeance. So when you go from here, stop trying to live as though God's will is a path that gets you to Jesus. Rather, live on the path of God's will, which has already come to you through Jesus. Walk with him in his heart. He is the compass that shows us the way to walk within the will of God. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that in your word you reveal your will for our lives. Lord, we have to confess and say we're sorry for the times in our life when perhaps we have looked and received your will as as a checklist as a warning, as a threat, as something we use to judge other people instead of seeing it as that gracious invitation to enter through you, the one gate who sets our feet on a path to walk with you. So, Lord, may we in this week find opportunities to echo into the lives of others the grace you've given to us, the love you've poured out on us, the mercy that you've shown to us. Thank you for that. Speak into our hearts that we may walk with you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.